Hi, this is uh, Edward Kim with the uh, Sixth Ring Podcast, uh, occasionally known as Miramoto Daisuke. Today is uh, February 6th, uh, Thursday. I'm here with... Tyler Parrott, uh, developer of Legend of the Five Rings. If you hear any weird noises, that's because we're on a phone in a conference room, uh, and I have a cup of tea, so I might accidentally hit the table. <laughs> All right. So, actually, one of the very first questions we got was, what exactly is it you do nowadays besides just develop? Um, I understand that you uh, also took up, took over some ownership of the story. Yes. So, uh, I am still currently the one driving the events of the story. Obviously, now that Katrina's back, uh, she and I are working together on it, but in terms of the day-to-day Getting the stories written and figuring out what exactly goes in which story uh, that is currently still being handled by me. So uh, basically, I'm developing the LCG and also the story that is going alongside the LCG. Fortunately, neither of them is me by myself, but uh, for the most part, that's that's my day to day job. All right. How excited are you to have Katrina back? She's been gone. She was gone for like a year or so, and then came uh, back. It is incredible. And the day that I learned was. The uh, it was very good, very happy day for me when I learned she was coming back. Um, I have always respected her storytelling chops, and uh, and she was a great coworker to work with. And I think that having her back in this position is going to make all of our stories, not just L five R's, a lot stronger and a lot more diverse. Okay. All right, so is there some one other question I think that I want to start with, a little softball? Is, uh, <laughs> how is Tyler doing? Everyone always asks, what is he doing? How is he doing? Is Tyler anything? is doing all right. Nothing uh, you want to share with the uh, community about yourself um, personally? or No, it's an acceptable answer. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't have anything super exciting going on in my life right now. Um, the... the uh, I have, I, I'm constantly bombarded with ridiculously, wildly, overly ambitious ideas for L5R that I keep wanting to implement, and maybe I'll get to like 20% of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like work in general, I guess. Well, right. that's what happens when you work in a creative field, is even when you're not at work, you're still at least thinking about ideas that you might have uh, in, in the background. Right on, right Oh, on. I can share something. Uh, you might, obviously, this actually needs to happen first, but you might see me write a short story Ooh, at some point. Okay. That's that's on the table. All right. That might be cool. Okay. Today is Thursday the 6th. On Saturday, there will be a Cote at Fort Worth. Looking forward to seeing how that goes. Yeah, I'm here in wonderful Roseville, Minnesota, because of Game of Thrones uh, card game has having their final worlds. I assume you're familiar with that project. Yep. Some of these people might be looking for a new game to get into. Do you have any particular pitch that you might uh, throw at them to uh, encourage them to come try another Fantasy Flight living card game? Uh, well, I will say this. Uh, a lot of Legend of the Five Rings DNA comes from Game of Thrones. I, I imagine a lot of people figured out pretty quickly that the three challenges in the Five Rings are pretty much the same. Uh, yes. Um, so if you, if you enjoy uh, the Game of Thrones card game... I think that you'll find a lot of similar strategic and tactical depth in Legend of the Five Rings. Now, uh, obviously the biggest difference is that in Game of Thrones, most of the strategy that you have to formulate comes from the information on the board, whereas in Game of Thrones, a lot of it comes from the hidden cards in each player's hand. Um, and so that's something that, you should, that you'll have to get used to because 
uh, a lot of the results of a conflict of game of Legend of the Five Rings come from uh, trying to draw out your opponent's resources at, at inopportune times rather than trying to outdo the math of, hey, if I allocate this much strength to this challenge and this much strength to this challenge, then my opponent's going to lose the one that I want them to lose, right? So I, I, I think there's a lot of interesting things with L5R, and obviously we have a great L5R community that is always, always very encouraging, uh, as far as I've seen, of new people and also just having more people to play this great game with. Um, speaking of the new player experience, um, now the carpool is starting to get a little big. Yep. Uh, it might be a little intimidating for some new players, although maybe not experienced card gamers, but in general, some new players might be a little intimidated by the size of carpool. Is that something that you're uh, thinking about as new products are being designed and developed? To a certain extent. Obviously, the the living card game format is very prescriptive of, of how cards get designed and how people buy them, right? We're not going to be deviating from the, the, the standard living card game model of, for the foreseeable future in terms of there won't be another, there won't be a, a, a new entry point that replaces the core set. That said, the core set is still a very good place to start and is always probably going to be the, at least for the foreseeable future, the, the foundation of a lot of clans' uh, strategies. And while I can't get into specifics, I have been thinking about the new, new player experience in ways other than relating to products. And you should keep an eye out in the next month or two for a format that I've been developing that, and, and I'm not going to get into any specifics, but I'm going to say this, which is A, this is very, it's a new, very new player friendly format. And B, it is the most fun I have ever had playing L5R. This isn't some advanced version of BattleBox, is it? BattleBox, it may have a little bit of BattleBox DNA. Just a little, okay. just a little. All right. We can all thank the uh, Canadians for that. <laughs> maple syrup and battle box. I do love me some maple syrup. <laughs> mm, yeah. So Fort Worth uh, is uh, Saturday. Do you have any, it comes. any predictions? Uh, well, this will probably be out after that happens. So, so I we'll see how close you are. Totally be proven wrong in every way possible. Uh, I expect to see um, a lot of people playing with or against the Lion and Unicorn Tower decks that are running around these days. Certainly they have not escaped my notice. And they have not escaped anyone else's either, from what I can tell. Um, that said, obviously, they're brand new decks, and so uh, at least this implementation of them. So people are going to take some time figuring out how to, how to play against them. If they win, I won't be surprised. But if someone has a, a new idea that can compete, I was particularly enamored of the low-to-the-ground crane rush deck. With neat and pupil, that was uh, oh that one yeah that, that one that smoked was, me the the hotness at um, at uh, LVO LVO yeah. yeah I was there it smoked me he he slammed that neat and pupil down and I was like what is going on uh, what is happening I'm I'm so and so like if someone comes up with a something maybe not that but something similar to that that has a way to fight the tower deck in a way that the tower deck isn't prepared for right that one goes so fast that the tower deck can't set up maybe there's I don't know a control deck that finds a, that has enough redundancy of attachment removal or something. I don't know. I know that those that way to deal with it is is usually not very effective. But maybe maybe someone will crack it. Who knows? Maybe some kind of phoenix um, splash with pacifism, or uh, over or just going all in on 
Mia Mystics and Let Goes and Calling in Favors, right? Uh, a, dragon, a Dragon Scorpion deck could do that. I'm also very curious to see how Scorpion does. Uh, I know a lot of people have a lot of strong opinions as to whether or not they're great or terrible right now. And considering they've been so good for so long, it's always interesting to see what it is that brings them down. If this did bring them down, because again, no one's, no one's quite sure. I think that Lion or Unicorn are going to win. If I had to, to, to put my hat in the ring simply, simply because the deck is still so new that I imagine it's pretty difficult to, to play against. Okay. So speaking of the tower deck versus low to the ground. Aggro. Yep. What is your opinion of the uh, metagame? Has it developed the way you had hoped? I don't try to hope for things because, or uh, let me rephrase. The thing that I hope for is to be surprised. Uh, that's part. That's why I'm particularly excited by this weird neat and pupil crane deck because that's something I never would have thought of. Um, even though I did design neat and pupil to kind of do exactly this, <laughs> for some reason I didn't think it would be you know coming out of crane quite as effectively. But um, I think that we are seeing the natural evolution of the game as the car- as the card pool gr- progresses. Right. Uh, for a long time, L5R was defined by the sort of mid-range decks that played three to five drops and maybe some attachments and maybe some disruptive events and you, you try to pair your your three drop or your five drop with your one drops to dodge wave the crab or to get random pokes here or there but fundamentally it was about trying to manipulate your resources manipulate your drain your opponent's resources and and eventually get to a win now we're seeing now that we're now that the card pool is growing we're seeing enough redundancy in the card pool that people can start to do more specialized strategies. This is always inevitable in a card game like this, where it's like, I have this card that does this effect, but there's only six of it in my deck, or three of it in my deck, but now there's 12 of it in my deck, just because there are other similar other cards that do similar things. Well, there's always been 12-ish dishonor effects in Scorpion. However. Right, but now we're seeing that with attachments. Now we're seeing that with Swarm, right? Um in the same way that you could see you had this sort of consistent one-note Scorpion Dishonor deck, now you're seeing the one-note consistent Tower decks, and you're seeing the one-note consistent Swarm decks. And try, uh, keeping an eye on those decks and making sure that the game is still fun when decks become more polarized like that is obviously very difficult. I don't think that we've reached the point of, you know, I'm not sc- slamming on the emergency brakes or anything. I know that I have some thoughts about what can be done to improve uh, with the next rules update or uh, ban restrict list update. But I don't think that I, I think that we're actually doing quite well, considering how big of a game this is um, in the context of it takes several minutes to set up. It takes over an hour to play the potential for uh, the game to devolve into. Well, I'm playing tower and you're playing control and I just have an 80% win rate against you. We're not seeing that, which was my biggest concern. So I think things are actually going quite well. Okay. Speaking of banned and restricted, is there any uh, any current cards that are um, have uh, kind of poked their head up above the average that you're looking at giving it an eagle eye? Yep. Care to share? Nope. Okay. <laughs> Fair. Um, gotta try and get that out there. Oh um, yeah. I oh, you always have to try. Have a few questions about some cards and card interactions. I don't want to talk too much about that, but um, one thing that, that really uh, stuck out in my mind is 
um, difference between elegant Tessin versus fan of command. They're both one drop. Uh, they're both fans. <laughs> and they both stand things. This is actually a fair point. That was unintentional. I swear. <laughs> no, I, I believe you, but it's interesting that. Um, but the elegant Tessin is restricted, is it not? Yes. And the fan of command is not. Yes. Can you explain how that came about? So, on the one hand, uh, an in clan card should generally be better than a neutral card. Okay. That's not the reason it's not restricted. The actual reason it's not restricted is, uh, so Fan of Command was designed to be ready for battle on an attachment. And yes, I was aware of the combo with Favored Mount, and I was like, that's cool. Movement effects need better payoffs because right now no one wants them, right? Everyone was like, oh, why would I move to a conflict when I can just commit, you know, and declare into a conflict? There's no reason to play movement effects. Movement's so bad. Uh, and so I was like, yeah, okay, so like I'll put ready for battle on an attachment. Hey, nothing sucks Bushies. more than having having your one dude <laughs> sent home with strength in numbers. This is true. Right? And I actually Movement think, effects don't suck. Okay, well, and so but to, they're a to that limited. point to that point I think that we are going to see, you know, as as the rest of the year unfolds, I would I would be very surprised if the evaluation of move in effects did not get if people did not start considering movement to be a stronger effect than it currently is. Now that said Fan of Command was always, here's, we'll put Ready for Battle on an attachment. It's only for Bushis. Like, this is a, a Bushi payoff because, you know, I want Bushis to be good. And, yeah, if someone wants to, to combo it with, with Favored Mount, that's cool. Favored Mount is a card I like. I want more people to play it. Seems fine. I was not expecting people to go absolutely ham with Golden Plains Outpost. <laughs> and, honestly, I'm kind of thrilled the Golden Plains Outpost is not only seeing play, but is considered to be Tier 1 because it was derided for so long. Yes. <laughs> I have a friend um, who's unicorn who was a unicorn Hanamoto, but he, we took him to LVO, and he was like, "Yo, I'm so excited! I get to play with my acrylic golden plates outpost." Yeah. Man. So you know, props to that. You know. Yeah, and and like, I don't have any desire to dismantle the deck. Certainly, uh, there are things that I can do that I am considering to make it a little bit weaker, but I want. I mean. A card being strong is not a good enough reason to immediately, you know, throw it on the restricted list, throw it on the ban list. Oh, Even, I, I'm not proposing, yeah, I'm yeah, not yeah, proposing no, that. I'm just... But a lot of people are. Wow. Um, <laughs> and, and so my point is just that, like, Elegant Tessin was supposed to be a reward for playing two drops. And, and it is that, very much so. The, the, the most important reason why that card is restricted versus Fan of Command is not, because I know people are going to ask, is because... A, it's neutral, which means it has to be a little bit worse. And B, um, two drops are already... People say two drop is the, the, the worst cost point in the game. I don't think that's true. Um, and I think that as the card pool grows, we're going to see that fours and fives become, at least in the, the short term, fours and fives become less and less appealing because even now, mo decks are trying really hard to not run five drops at all or four drops at all. It's, it's all about getting your three drop with a bunch of attachments or nothing above two because you only get seven fate per turn and you want to spend all of it on as many cards as possible. The reward for two drops needs to be good, but it can't be too good. Uh, otherwise, we turn into the game turns into neat and pupil deck, right? <laughs> and, and, and I don't want that. I want the, the, the metagame to be diverse. Um, another uh, card comparison, power level comparison. This one is 
perhaps maybe a little biased, but uh, <laughs> fan of Command and uh, In Service to My Lord versus Majesty Station. So Majesty so, Station died for Toshimoko's sins. So here's the deal, right? Um, and this is actually something that I learned from my time as a player of the Star Wars LCG. Okay. Which is that anytime you have a card that starts in play, or anytime each of us have a card that starts in play, and especially if we have multiple cards that start in play, it means that the players are going to be starting the game or interacting with the game on very different footings. If my provinces are just strictly better than yours, I didn't have to work for that. I just got that for free. In fact, not only did I get that for free, I got that because you attacked me. And like suddenly you're incentivized to not attack at all um, because my provinces might just be too good. That makes designing provinces really hard. It also makes... It, it, it also means that a, a province that is slightly above the curve can completely warp a metagame. Shameful um, display. <clears throat> you're not wrong. Absolutely. And, and so, like, and so my point is just that when, when you're looking at a, an attachment that I have to draw from my deck and play, uh, and most of the time is only ever going to affect the person it's on, versus a province that I get for free that, yes, I have to work to honor the guy, and yes, I have to defend it, but I get it for free, and it lasts as long as I defend it, and it does help it, to, like, Magistrate Station's text helps it stay alive, assuming I have ways to honor, and guess what? As the card pool grows, Crane is only going to get more and more ways to honor their characters, because that's Crane's, like, primary design space. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, that's a, that's a reasonable answer. Um, speaking of provinces... You might have asked, been asked this question before, so uh, stop me if you've heard it before. But uh, now we're getting these eminent provinces where they start face up. Yep. And uh, provinces being face down, being kind of these surprises, has kind of been the primary way that, you know, uh, that the provinces have been designed and, you know, a good defense mechanism, cool effects, things like that. Um, how good does an eminent province have to be in order to give up that uh, surprise effect? Good question. I have opinions, but I might be wildly wrong. Obviously, not all of the eminent provinces that I designed are going to be of the same power level because that's just impossible. Surely, <laughs> surely not. And um, no one would blame you if you missed a few. But like, on either end. sure. But like, I intentionally. I mean, their eminent provinces are much, much, much stronger than any province I would make that wasn't eminent, um, because they're the, the downside of. Your opponent knows what it is right away and can safely attack it because none of the eminent provinces defend themselves. Right. Like, every single eminent province you have to defend uh, if you want it to survive. the. That's a pretty significant cost that I'm asking players to take. And I want these provinces to be desirable. And so I'm very curious to see, you know, how City of the Rich Frog does. I'm very curious to see how, uh, if the Lion one shows up in any decks, I'm very curious to see if the scorpion and dragon ones show up in any decks i definitely think that the uh the crane and crab ones will show up in decks we'll see and then the other ones i have no idea about so <laughs> all right we just got the uh the clan wars dropping tomorrow officially although some people have already got it but that's not that's... a question that we're going to address here and whatever i'm aware of it <laughs> um how much multiplayer have you personally played I've played a decent amount. Decent um, amount. Obviously, we tested it a bunch when we first developed the beta rules. 
Uh, and then once we started working on this product, I tested it a whole bunch more. The thing that I like the most about Enlightenment is that it adds a third player without dramatically altering the, the length of the game, which for a long game like L5R is kind of a big deal. Team Conquest is something that I developed mostly because people were really enthusiastic about getting a team format for the game. And frankly, I appreciated how simple it came together because for a, for a head-to-head -head game, making each head have two pieces is way easier than making a head-to-head -head, -head version, right? I've played, a f I've played much fewer games of Team Conquest. I have enjoyed the ones that I did. Uh, I don't foresee myself playing that format a bunch personally just because of how long the games take. And I tend to prefer shorter game experiences than two to three hours. <laughs> but I've, I mean, I enjoy the format. I enjoy both of them a lot. Uh, Team Conquest, I think, is the, is the most fun when you're not taking it seriously because the power level... When you, when you have... Uh, math, 160 cards to work with instead of 80 cards to work with on each side. Like, we can make two synergistic decks like that work together towards a common goal that are very effective. Um, yeah, and like so the power level of a team game is just through the roof. And a lot of that can be really fun. Yeah, I remember someone positing um, a dragon deck where they only had uh, attachments and they played that holding... Um, let your every attachment on not your characters had ancestral, so you yes. would just be like just yep. the attachment broker. Yep, and that's why I designed that holding because that's like exactly what it's trying to do is be like, all right, uh, I'm gonna get the fire ring, and now we're just gonna we're just gonna be be the salesman here. You get an attachment, and you get an attachment, and you get an attachment. Now we're taking them all back and do it putting again. them on my guys. Yep. I understand that most of those cards were designed with specifically with the. Uh, Clan or multiplayer enlightenment specifically, not just multiplayer, but like specifically enlightenment, where yep. they where there's, uh, trick needed to have rings claimed on provinces, and some of them on provinces. Not oh, that's true. Yeah, some yeah. of them are just, a lot of cards. Just say it, if I've claimed this ring, uh, of those cards, about how many do you think? Well, I guess based on some of the answers you've given, I don't know that you have an answer to this question, but I'll <laughs> ask anyway. Yeah, uh, how many of those cards do you think uh, you will see play? Uh, obviously, yeah. Except for the, uh, obviously, I um, I can think of one card offhand that we'll definitely see play. You're talking about the inscribed Tonto that, that Reddy's Neaton Master? Yeah. Yeah. Um, that card yeah, is I mean, almost certainly going to see play. Yeah. I mean, I could make any zero-cost weapon in Dragon and not put the word restricted on it. Yeah, I could even put the word restricted on it and people would put it We'd in We'd probably Neaton still Master play it. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. Um... Obviously, one of the reasons to put a lot of those effects in Dragon was because Dragon has Shiro Katsuki, and I want more payoffs for Shiro Katsuki to make it better because a lot of people uh, have uh, evaluated it to be weak. And usually when the community evaluates something to be weak and doesn't play it, then I try to make more cards that synergize with it so that they want to. <coughs> GPO. Um, and, uh, and also that a lot of those cards are very strong in Enlightenment. That was actually something that was difficult about designing this box, was it's it's very easy to make cards that are strong in one format and weak in another. Um, and if I want to strengthen it in the format in which it is weak, then maybe that makes it too strong in the format in which it was already strong. Um, and so it was a lot of that judgment, a lot of that was, was judgment calls of like, yeah, okay, so 
here's a here's a, a card mechanic, and yes, it's quite good, and so we'll put certain costs or restrictions on it, and to to encourage you to play it in one format, particularly, in this case, Enlightenment, and maybe that makes it difficult to play outside of Enlightenment. But if I make it too good outside of Enlightenment, then it's just busted in Enlightenment. And since the prior the, since the primary focus for this box was Enlightenment, and to a certain extent, Team Conquest. Obviously, the support keyword was designed with team play in mind, but also as a means of, of, of deal brokering. Um, I've, I've played enough free-for-all games in which the ability to give to give unconditionally to another player is actually really valuable. Oh, yeah. And that's actually... And, and that is both, those are both some of the most fun mechanics to design. Uh, stuff like the crane character that has action give control of this character to another player... Why would you ever do that in single player, like or in, in head-to-head? Obviously, yes, you could do the, I'm going to dishonor this guy, and then give him to you, and then you lose an honor instead of me. Or, here's this guy, I'm going to give him to you, and now I'm going to duel him, since you didn't give me a duel target or, or something. So there are fringe cases, which is great because that lets you feel creative when you're doing it. But also, a, a lot of the fun, but also those kinds of effects can only come when you're starting from a place of, here's this perceived downside of action give something good to my opponent for no immediate obvious reward and then you know your creative brain is like okay this card is telling me to give my opponent stuff for free how can i turn that to my advantage and that that puzzle solving process is really fun in addition to being super duper effective in enlightenment or in in free-for-all which is why i tried to explore the that space as much as i'll give you this dude if you do this thing for me yeah, and, and again, same with the, the, the holding that you mentioned earlier in Dragon, right? Is I can make all these deals where I'm like, oh, I'll give you this attachment and you do this thing for me and I'll give you this attachment and I'll do this thing for me and then here's my holding. Oh, I got them all back. Ha ha ha. Right? That's fun. Yeah. Do you think uh, going forward that cards will be designed with multiplayer in mind? I always have multiplayer in mind when I'm especially templating cards, right? <laughs> Obviously, I want cards to function in multiplayer. Mm. Poor Fusui Disciple has kind of suffered that. And uh, and Ide Tadaji, more than anything else, has, has kind of suffered from the, like, well, we didn't really know how multiplayer was going to work the, back then. So, unfortunately, the text on the card doesn't quite make sense. Every um, character whose name starts with Tada, Tada has been banned in multiplayer. Is that true? Tadakatsu? Oh, Tadakatsu, Tadaji, and, Tadaji, and Tadaka. Tadaka. Nice. Uh, I don't think Tadaka's been in multiplayer. Because uh, Dynasty Tadaka is much easier to turn off uh, when you once you get to keep holding. That was that was pre Yes, that was pre So um, uh, he was banned uh, from multiplayer. Then he got I should check banned that, for regular. Should, if, if if he's still on the multiplayer ban list, I should take him off. Um, oh, okay. Well, I undid the errata. Uh, anyway, um, the answer to your question, uh, I think about it, but but not a ton. I usually, Obviously, yeah, it's not likely we'll see the support keyword. You not likely. Su- you might be surprised. I I, I like keywords that uh, you're not going to see. You're not going. Let me say this: you're not going to see the support keyword in a product unless there is an obvious reason for it to be there. Now that said, it's a very simple keyword, and ever since having made Team Conquest, I've like, even if I don't play it a ton, it's really fun and. I definitely see myself going back to the idea of team play at some point. 
Like perhaps in a uh, magic arch enemy format. Um, probably not that. Um, mostly just mostly just that like if I can find a way to answer the question of how do we make team conquest shorter, then I would like to solve that problem and then and then do more support, uh, more more team play. Uh, that said, whenever I am playing with or whenever I'm putting the text on a card, usually I'll at least think about how does this work to make sure that it, A, does what I want in multiplayer, and B, I would like them to be fun. You'll notice that I have a, I, going forward, I have a tendency to try to avoid having effects that only affect you or only affect your opponents, but rather try to word things and balance things in a way that I theoretically could target anything, because A, that gives you more leverage in negotiating, and B, it means that I can play on my teammates' cards, right? Uh, more bonsais and less court games, essentially. You can bonsai your teammates' character, but you can't court games your teammates' character. Right. I have a story question for you. Uh-oh. It's been bugging me. <laughs> it's not bugging me, but it just, I just need to know. Yeah. And I, I think that's the definition. And I'm 100% like certain that you're going to say no to this. You're going to just shrug your shoulders when I ask this question. Probably. But, what... Just what do the crab know about Kuniyori? Just what do they know? This is me shrugging my shoulders. You can't you can't see it, but I'm doing it. Yep, you're totally doing it. <laughs> totally doing it. I, I I just had to ask. I had to ask. But that's Kuni, just a Kuni great Kuniori. Kuniori is a man of many mysteries. Yeah, but that story, that most recent story with, uh, with Kuniori the... and um, uh, Sako Suki. Um, Suki. Yeah, that was just. I was so good at I was, the end. I was really happy with A, that's how that turned out, and B, that we finally got to get Asako Suki into the story. <laughs> good choice, uh, Jose. So, uh, I, gotta, I gotta ask. Um, Dragon. Yep. Why? What is going on? <laughs> That is the question. Not story-wise. I'm yeah, talking yeah, about I know, card you're pool. talking about yeah. the card pool. Uh, that is the question that everyone asks about the dragon, because the dragon are inscrutable and also very difficult to design, because their whole point <clears throat> is that they do unexpected things and that they uh, are hard to reach and that they kind of operate outside of the same framework as everyone else. In lore-wise, or...? I mean, lore-wise... They, they 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 are isolationist, which means that they are trying to stay out of everyone else's business and do their own thing, right? They're, it's the individualistic clan. So, like, by definition, they're trying to do their thing, which is not everyone else's thing. Trying to design to that space is really difficult. Obviously, there's the, like, put a bunch of attachments on a guy theme, which is... It's a theme, and it does do that, but it doesn't do that in a particularly dragon way and so especially when a lot of factions have been getting stronger better attachments well and that's again like I've said in other places that's just a factor of I design attachments in every clan Some of the, sometimes they're going to end up being really good yeah. um, and then but because I'm trying to because I'm always trying to do something unexpected with dragon sometimes it doesn't sometimes it doesn't land Shiro Katsuki, for most of, for almost all of playtesting, was generally evaluated to be. We think this is really strong, but no one can quite figure out if it is or not. And like a lot of dragon cards are like that, 
And sometimes they are, and unfortunately, a lot of times lately, they haven't been. Now, that isn't to say I don't have things coming that they're that I think Dragon players are definitely going to be excited about. I, I can guarantee you I have cards coming that Dragon players are going to be, be thrilled for. And some of that is that, like, okay, I tried designing to a new space for Dragon, and some amount of it missed, and now I'm going to give the missing support for it. Because in playtesting, you don't see the whole picture. In playtesting, you're seeing small amounts of, or, you know, individual cards or small groups of cards at a time. I would imagine by the but, nature of the playtest process, there's only, like, so many people who could provide feedback, and only some of that feedback is useful, blah, blah, blah. Even so, less, yeah. I mean, without even getting into the usefulness of it, most, almost all playtest feedback is useful. It's just a matter of there's a limited number of players and a limited amount of time, and especially as the card pool grows, it gets even harder and harder to do that because you're trying to evaluate the cards you're making against the cards that already exist, and the cards that already exist keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Once a card comes out, and you see lots of people playing with the cards, it becomes much easier to be like, ah, there's the missing piece, and then to design for that. Unfortunately, you know, turnaround is a bit slower. Lion struggled with that for a long time, too. Of like, Lion was struggling to figure out what it was trying to do that wasn't also a unicorn thing, and vice versa. And so it wasn't until the unicorn cards came out, people played with them, we saw what the strengths and weaknesses of the clan were, and then, lo and behold, the Unicorn Clan pack comes out, Cycle 3 comes out, and you start seeing really good Unicorn cards to compensate for the missing pieces that, that the clan didn't already have. GPO is finally playable. Or not only playable, great, right? Like, if, if I told you that in 2017, you would have never believed me. And so... Un- uh, un- I, I might have <laughs> believed you with condition. I might have said, you know, you need to like find the payoff, but right now you're not seeing it. You you would have said, prove it to me. And I would have been like, okay, wait two years. (laughs) (laughs) Right. But like, that's my point is every clan is going to go through this process of like, they have a thing and the thing missed. And then a year, year and a half later, we finally see the missing pieces because I get to react to how the players are playing the game. But my reaction time is slow because I'm designing cards a year and a half out. There's the community uh, designed card. Remember that from last year yep. or so? Uh, do you I have know, not forgotten it. Do you know where it is? Cycle four, pack six. <laughs> All right. I wasn't expecting such a specific answer. I, I mean, I, I like, thought you might say com- cycle six, or the, cycle four. But. The community designed it. They ought to know where it is. Uh, I was. Go- I tried to put it in an earlier pack, but because of certain pack requirements, it needed to be in the last pack. You'll understand it when you see it. Okay. I trust you. I trust you. Uh, do you know anything about Kote uh, locations and dates? Uh, I do not, and if I did, I couldn't tell you anyway. Okay. Uh, having had about three years of experience with the game now out in the wild, yep. uh, what do you wish that you could have done differently that you know now but didn't know? Oh my Those god, unknown, what unknowns. a great question. Oh man, oh man. Uh, and uh, okay. you're willing to say publicly. And, and and I also have to caveat this with like, there are a few cards from the core set in the first two cycles that I wish I could like make some changes to, etc, cetera, etc, cetera, but I wasn't responsible for those, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. Okay. Uh, what are the things that I wish I could do in the past having known what I know now? There are a couple of specific so, okay, so uh, uh, a couple things I'll say. Thing number one, 
There are elements of the Scorpion Clan pack that I wish I could improve upon um, because I think that I have a better handle of not only how to make fair Scorpion cards, but also what makes them fun, also what makes them not fun. I think that while Alibi Artist, for example, does the job that it is supposed to do, which is force you into a low honor state, but then keep you from losing the game because you're at a low honor state and you therefore can't you can't draw, draw cards. It might have been a little bit too pushed. And of course, there are several other cards in that pack that I wish I could be like, uh, okay, now I understand like why this wasn't what I wanted from it and what I can do better. Um, there are... I, I've, I have, You will see that my understanding of the Dragon Kehoe theme has evolved and it is at a much better place now in terms of like the play pattern is a lot more fun now me says in the future uh, than it is now me says in the present, if that makes sense. Uh, present day Kiho, the, the present day Monk Kehoe play pattern is not as fun as it will be when the cards that I've already designed come out because I cracked the puzzle of like how to make that mechanic more fun, so I wish I could redesign some of the earlier Kehoes. High Kick has always been a little bit of a disappointment. It's not a Kehoe. Yeah. I mean, thematically speaking, it kind of isn't, but also it kind of is. Mm. Uh, it should be for... It's green-colored. That's it, why it, it may perhaps it, auto have been a it, sh it should be because it's a green card that says Monk on it, right? Um, the the, the, the Kehoe and the Monks kind of just have to be paired together because that's kind of the point. <laughs> So there are elements of the Dragon Clan pack that I wish I could re redesign. Um, That's only present you telling past you that, right? That is, if I could go back a year and a half, I guess, yeah, that's about right. If I could go back a year and a half, then there are changes that I would have made. Uh, and also, what else? What other things in retrospect have I, have I learned how to do better? Um, I have learned... I've learned better how to deal with provinces. That's a huge, a huge one. And a lot of that I learned uh, through um, trial and error, mostly trial, not so much error, because we, we, we stamped out those errors for the most part in the um, Dominion cycle. Because obviously that cycle is all about provinces. But now that I've done the Dominion cycle, I'm like, man, I wish I could go back to before the Dominion cycle and, you know, design more provinces back then. Because uh, I feel like I have a much better understanding of how provinces work now in the game. Okay. Yeah, we'll go with that. We'll go with that for now. Okay. I'll think of something. As um, soon as there's I get no to need desk. to go into self-flagellation, right? You know. No, and it's also a, and here's the thing, right? Is self-criticism is good. Self-flagellation bad. Oh, it's all self-criticism. None, none of it. Yeah. I don't feel bad about it, right? <laughs> Obviously, I did what I did with the knowledge I had, and now I'm in the future, and I know more. But that doesn't mean you know. That doesn't mean that I failed in the past. Um, the problem, the, the frustrating thing can sometimes be that it's like, yes, I wish I could go back and change this card in the past. And like, theoretically, I could errata it. Like, there was, a, there was a hot second where I was considering eroding Illustrious Plagiarist alongside the rules change that makes Illustrious Plagiarist really bad. I was like, oh, I'll change the rules and then I'll apply an errata to Illustrious Plagiarist to make him better to compensate for the fact that I'm making it worse. But like, at a certain point, it's it's a waste of time to do that when the uh, when the alternative is just 
make another card that does a similar thing to Illustrious Plagiarist and put it in a future pack. The, the complexity of errata on past cards is so high that it's, it's always better to, if I have learned a thing, don't go back in time and try to fix it. Just fix it and go forward. Everything always goes forward. There's always value in what could I have done better in the past, but if the result of that introspection is not, and this is what I'm going to do in the future, then it's not worth your time. Regret is a sin. <laughs> and uh, let's, uh, let's leave it at that. Thank you very much for chatting with me. I enjoyed it. And uh, Thank you for coming on and being with us. And uh, hello to all of the listeners. <laughs> uh, so I do have one other last fun question uh, to throw out there uh, because this was requested by one of our uh, friends on the internet. Uh, who are members of the Kimpire? Okay, let's see if I know this. Edward, Andrew, and anyone else they let in? Anyone else they include? Is that yes, the deal? Yes, that, that sounds right to me.